0: So, what would you say is the overall narrative of the scriptures? What is the story told in this book? What are the major themes that are developed over and over until they are fulfilled and realized in Yeshua the Messiah? We could say blessing. Promise, covenant, grace, redemption, these are some of the themes that we see over and over. But how do they all fit together? Well, not only do they all fit together in the narrative of Scripture, but they all come together in this week's Parsha. It's a crucial part of the story of Israel. But first, we're going to start at the beginning. A very good place to start, right? In the Garden of Eden, God creates Adam and Eve to do what? To be fruitful and multiply. I heard some of you say that. Is this just a literal command? Just make some more people? No. As, as nice as that is, uh, it means to bring the knowledge of God, the presence of God, the love of God throughout the earth. This was their charge. It was, in some senses, the first commandment that we were given. When Noah gets out of the ark, he gets the same commandment. This is a new humanity. It, the Lord says, be fruitful and multiply. And then God chooses a man, Abraham, ...and his descendants, Israel, to continue this goal, to be fruitful and multiply. God chose the children of Israel to bring about this plan that he started in the garden. He chose Israel through relationship. He chose them by grace, and he covenanted with Israel by his faithfulness. He repeats his promise to Abraham and his descendants over and over... And he remembers this promise through Genesis and into Exodus and then beyond. God's plan is to bring justice and mercy and the ways of Torah through Israel, Abraham's descendants, to all the nations of the earth. To bless Israel, to be a blessing, choosing them by grace. And a few generations later, we find Joseph in Egypt. Bringing blessing to his brothers, the children of Israel, and to all the nations in Mesopotamia by saving them from famine. And this is how we end up in Egypt, about 400 years later, at the beginning of the Exodus story. In Exodus, it says that God saw the suffering of the Israelites and he remembered. What did he remember? His covenant. His love, his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in the beginning of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, there's a, there's a callback here. There's an allusion to the original purpose in the garden. And this is what it says. Before that, this is what it says. The descendants of Israel were fruitful. Increased abundantly and multiplied. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And grew very powerful. The land began filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. There's a new pharaoh in town. He's not the nice pharaoh that we remember from the Joseph story, right? Okay, and this is a callback, as I said, to the first commandment. To bring, bring my blessing and my love throughout the earth, is what the Lord is saying. Israel is a blessing to the nations. And this is what the text is, is showing. But the new king, this pharaoh, the pharaoh of the Exodus, he doesn't see it this way. He sees it backwards, right? Pharaoh is coming up against God's plan, and he does it with all of his strength. He enslaves the children of Israel with harsh, cruel labor, and he tries to murder all of their sons as babies. This is a level of evil that we haven't really seen in the Torah, at least in one person at this point. To Pharaoh, the blessing of Israel is a curse. He's got it backwards. Their very lives are a threat to him and his power. So... Hashem raises up a man, Moses, to confront this evil and free the Israelites from slavery. Hashem confronts the evil personified in Pharaoh and the false gods he worships, and he redeems Israel. Words like ga'al, which means redeem, and uh, Yeshua, which means salvation they appear for the first time in scripture in the exodus story that's uh, exodus 6 6 and exodus 15 2 respectively that's when these ideas emerge and this brings us to this week's parsha which marks the end of the 10 plagues and the actual exodus the actual leaving from egypt of the children of israel this event is pivotal in the identity of israel and our understanding of the identity of God and the relationship between God and Israel. In this week's Parsha, locusts eat the last of the crops, and then darkness falls upon Egypt. This is plague 8 and 9, increasing signs from Hashem as Pharaoh's heart continues to harden with evil against God's plan, and against God's children. Then the last plague is set up, the death of the firstborn of Egypt. But it doesn't take place yet. Now, uh, this seems like a harsh judgment from God. It's hard to understand. But we must keep in mind Pharaoh's evil and the killing of Israel's firstborn earlier in the story. Though we, we as humans, are not to take vengeance ourselves, Hashem, he can and he will deal with the problem of evil to bring about salvation. So, Hashem declares this last final judgment on Pharaoh. He's talking to it to Moses about it. And we come to the most intense part of the story. This is the climax in Exodus 12, um, right before the last plague. And well, you know, have you ever been interrupted when you're telling a story? Yeah, does is, is is it bother you? So you hope, you know, if there's an interruption, that it, it's, at least it's important, right? It should be important. If Someone wakes you up in the middle of the night and calls you. You hope, you know, someone's been born or, you know, there's a, you know, something great, right? So here in the Parsha, the narrative is, it's interrupted. So the reason must be good. And this is what it says in Exodus 12, uh, starting in verse 1. Adonai spoke to Moshe and Aharon in the land of Egypt. and He said, you are to begin your calendar with this month. It will be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the assembly of Israel and say, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb or kid for his family, one per household, except that if the household is too small for a whole lamb or kid, then he and his next door neighbor should share one dividing it in proportion to the number of people eating it. Your animal must be without defect, a male in its first year, and you may choose it from either the sheep or the goats. So it sounds like a like a dinner plan, kind of, right? You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the entire assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter it at dusk. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the two sides and the top of the door frame at the entrance of the house in which they eat it. And That night, they are to eat the meat roasted in the fire. They are to eat it with matzah, there's our friend matzah, and maror, the bitter herb. Do not eat it raw or boiled, but roasted in the fire, with its head, the lower parts of its legs, and its inner organs. Let nothing of it remain until morning. If any of it does remain, burn it up completely. Here is how you are to eat it, with your belt fastened, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you are to eat it hurriedly. It is Adonai's Pesach, or Passover. For that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and animals. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai, and that, of course, is the the, the name of God, YHWH. The blood will serve you as a sign, marking the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I strike the land of Egypt, the death blow will not strike you. This will be a day for you to remember and celebrate as a festival to Adonai. From generation to generation, Lador Vador, you are to celebrate it by a perpetual regulation. For seven days, you are to eat matzah. On the first day, remove the leaven from your houses. Whoever eats hametz, the leavened bread, from the first to the seventh day is to be cut off from Israel. On the first and seventh day, you are to have an assembly set aside for God. On these days, no work is to be done except what each must do to prepare his food. You may do only that. You are to observe the festival of matzah, for on this very day I brought your divisions out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you are to observe this day from generation to generation by a perpetual regulation. This is a a long interruption, isn't it? From the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day, you are to eat matzah. During those seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. Whoever eats food with chametz, or leavening, is to be cut off from the community of Israel. It doesn't matter whether he is a foreigner or citizen of the land. Eat nothing with chametz in it. Wherever you live, eat matzah. So what are the key elements in this interruption? Well, if we look at the first first part of the verses, it's saying this is uh, the beginning of the year for you. It's a fresh start, okay? And this is how the children of Israel will be redefined from here on out. This is another new year in uh, in Nisan. And second, there are instructions on the Passover meal, right? How to specifically do it, um, not only in this case, but from generation to generation, how they are to remember this act. It's like the Lord is saying, this is a, a, a an identity-defining event, and you are going to need to remember this. And he's placing instructions about remembering it in the very text itself, before the last plague. Uh, this will be a day for you to remember and celebrate as a festival to Adonai From generation to generation, you are to celebrate it by a perpetual regulation. That's in verse 14. Okay? So Israel is to pass on this story, to remember it every year, so that it becomes part of their identity. Israel is not an enslaved people. Israel is a redeemed people. They are not defined by their suffering or their sin. They are defined by salvation. The God who sovereignly chose them by grace brought them out because of his faithful, covenantal love. And what comes after love and redemption? Where does he bring the people of Israel? He brings them to Mount Sinai, the Torah, the covenant, the marriage of God and Israel on Mount Sinai. When Hashem gives the Torah to the children of Israel, he gives it for a reason. He asks Israel to covenant with him, to follow his commandments. And the reason calls back to the redemption and love and the relationship of the Exodus. What is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 3? It says, you are to have no other gods before me. We might be familiar with this commandment. Israel is to worship only Hashem. But do we know what it says just before that in verse 2? This is what it says in Exodus 20, verse 2. I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the abode of slavery. Then it says, you are to have no other gods before me. He is Adonai, who brought Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. Therefore... They shall worship only him. That's the order that he puts in it. Torah comes after relationship. First, the Lord rescues, then he establishes covenant. First, saving by grace, then commitment by covenant. Before I made a covenant with my wife to love only her above all other women, we had a friendship, a relationship. It would be kind of strange if it was the other way around, although I'm sure that happens sometimes. So only after that, only after the relationship, the saving, did we covenant together. And the Exodus story defines the children of Israel as God's covenanted people. And it gives us a model to understand how all of us are defined as children of Hashem. Who are we? What defines our identity? Is it our job? Is it our family? Are we defined by our friends? Are we defined by our mistakes, our sins, our past, our shortcomings? What is it that gives us a sense of identity? As the Israelites are defined by redemption, so are the disciples of Yeshua defined by redemption. We are the people whom God loves. As the beloved of God, we have entered into a new covenant by the saving work of Yeshua the Messiah. We are redeemed from the slavery of sin by his death on the tree. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are free to be his people. In the narrative of scripture, God chose Israel to be a blessing by grace. He developed a relationship with them. He redeemed them from slavery, and then... He made a covenant with them to keep the Torah. That is the order. And the goal of his covenant was so that he could dwell among them as in the Garden of Eden, so that they could be a kingdom of priests to the nations of the earth, so that they could be their identity, who they were supposed to be. This narrative is continued and perfected in Yeshua and in the writings of the New Covenant. And Yeshua enables his disciples to continue it to its consummation, to its fulfillment. God sovereignly chose us by his grace. He chose us, which leads to a covenantal relationship. And he brought us out of the slavery of sin by the death of Yeshua, which leads to a covenantal commitment. This means that we, his disciples, we are a kingdom of priests that we are called to the same blessing as the children of Israel. But what enables us to fulfill that role, to be a blessing, to know God's ways, to be fruitful and multiply spiritually? We must know in our hearts that we are a redeemed people, that we are saved by God, that we are saved by grace. If we fight in our hearts and minds to remember that this is who we are, If we take our thoughts captive, if we think of ourselves humbly as children of beloved grace and salvation, then we will be able to fulfill the promise of Abraham. We will fit into the redemptive story, the redemptive narrative of scripture with our very lives. All of the major themes of scripture collide in the Exodus rescuing story. And our story is a continuation of this story. God's love and promises lead to rescuing. And his rescuing leads to covenant. And his covenant leads to his holy people being a blessing. So let's press toward being a blessing, knowing that we have been redeemed. We have been bought with a price by Yeshua the Messiah. Let us be a people defined by redemption in order to bring redemption to a hurting world. Amen? All right. Let's pray.